Well, today is a unique occasion. Um, this is my last sermon at Faith Presbyterian Church, so no doubt it is a day of, of mixed emotions. And um, you know, I thought long and hard about, you know, what, what would I preach uh, today? And it wasn't easy deciding, but the Lord eventually led me to Isaiah 61. And this passage has really been helpful for us, particularly as we as we think through um, our plans to return to the Middle East, in many ways, Isaiah 61 has really shaped our vision of what we hope to do there. And so as we look at this passage, we look at the first three verses, we'll kind of look at it in two different ways. One, look at this passage looking back in remembrance, but also looking forward in obedience. And we'll walk through that in just a moment. But let me read Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 3. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. Pray with me. Father, we need your help um, to God to hear from you. And so, Father, send your spirit and and just free us, Father, from God, the distractions that just may be weighing us down. Maybe it's distractions from the previous week. Maybe it's distractions from the coming week. But Father, we ask that you'll just set us free from those things. Give us ears that we can hear what you have to say. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so first of all, looking at Isaiah 61, I want us to, to look back in remembrance and, and really ask, you know, who is this passage talking about? And, and no doubt there's some immediate application uh, in Isaiah's day, uh, who this applied to, but, but ultimately it's fulfilled in Christ, and he leaves us no doubt about that. In, in the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 4, Jesus reads from Isaiah 61 uh, to, to the people there in the synagogue, and he tells them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So he, he, he defines his ministry by Isaiah 61. He anchors his ministry in this passage, and that, that's pretty significant. So we shouldn't miss that. So what do we see from this passage that that characterizes the ministry of Jesus? And some of this might be fresher in your mind as we're coming off of Easter, but but let me just observe a few things here. One, it comes to us as a person, and that's pretty pretty obvious. There's no rocket science there, but, but, but it is significant. He comes to us as a person. Isaiah 61 is talking about a person. God didn't just send a divine revelation or a revised list of do's and don'ts. He entered into our world. He put on flesh. He lived among us. That's, that's no small thing. So he comes as a person, but he, he also comes to us in his power. It says there in verse 1, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Now, probably not the way we would envision power. When I think of power, I think of muscle, shotguns, some dynamite, maybe a big truck. Um, that's where my mind goes when I think of power, and maybe that says something about me. But, but the power of Jesus is very, very different here. Um, and I, Isaiah 42 is almost a parallel passage to Isaiah 61. And here, listen how his power is described in verses 1 to 4. 
says, Behold my servant in whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. It's a very special kind of power. It's, it's controlled, it's purposeful, it's gentle, it's pure, it's humble. So God's Spirit is upon him for, for what purpose? Well, it tells us, because the Lord has anointed me. Right? That's why we refer to Jesus as the Messiah. That's what it means, the anointed one. Now, in the Old Testament, prophets, priests, and kings were all anointed to the office that they were called to. And Jesus ultimately fulfills all three of those offices. So he was anointed for a specific purpose. He was empowered for a specific mission. Well, what was his mission? And that leads us kind of to the third observation. He comes to us in our need. He comes to us in our need. In Isaiah 61 here, we see this this string of words and phrases that that capture the profoundness of human need. Just look look at the way it describes us, poor, those who are afflicted, oppressed, altogether forsaken and abandoned, brokenhearted, a heart that's been ravaged and ripped apart, mourning, those who have lost something or someone who, who are in despair, slaves, those who are in bondage or held captive by something or someone. And even there's an allusion to blindness. It says they're the release from darkness for the prisoners. Another way that, that can be translated is the opening of their eyes. There's this idea that there's a blindness or a darkness that covers them, and, and God comes to, to deal with that as well. Now, none of these are really appealing character qualities. You know, we don't lead with these in our conversations with one another, do we? We we usually try to keep these hidden as much as we can. And often in Scripture, as we look at these these descriptions, there's often a a dual reference. There's a literal sense. These things apply in, in a very literal way. That you can literally be poor and afflicted. You can literally be brokenhearted. You can literally be in bondage or captive to something. And that was definitely very true to the people of Isaiah's day. But there's also a metaphorical sense. These words carry a deeper meaning. They speak to a deeper, more, more profound set of needs. So these words and phrases describe the reality for God's people in Isaiah, and they describe our reality. They speak to circumstantial and, and physical struggles, but they also speak to spiritual and universal struggles. There's, so there's this inward and outward reality to these words in Isaiah 61. These words describe who we are. We're needy. We are needy people. But here's the cool part. Jesus comes to us in our neediness. In the Bible, it seems to present this idea that that needy people have a special place in the heart of God. Did you ever think about that? God is close to those needy. He's, He's almost drawn to our weakness. Psalm 34 says, The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Now, Isaiah 57, God says, I dwell in the high and lofty place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit. And so if you're feeling needy this morning, that's a good thing. God is on the move. 
because, you know, human nature, we, we don't like to feel needy, right? We don't like to be dependent. You know, we want to feel strong. We want to feel you know, self-sufficient. We want to be the captains of our ships, the masters of our destinies. And we give ourselves kind of the illusion of control. But, but here's the catch. If you want to be strong, if you want to be self-sufficient, if you want to manage your circumstances, if you want to be proud about those kind of things, the Bible says God is not near to you. He's not near to you. Psalm 138, verse 6, For though the Lord is high, he regards the lowly, but the haughty, the prideful, he knows from afar. James 4 and 1 Peter 5 talk about how God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Proverbs 3 says he mocks the proud mockers, but he shows favor to the humble and oppressed. So you see the theme here, right? Close to those in need, but far, far from those who are not. And we see this really exemplified in the life of Christ. Who did he hang out with the most? He hung out with, he hung out with the sick, the lame, the demon-possessed, the outcasts, the hated, the oppressed, the sinners, the needy. And it's, it's important that because until you're aware of your neediness, you know, the gospel will be, it'll be fascinating information, right? And, and it, might be, it might be inspirational on some level, but it will never be good news. It will never change you. So Jesus comes and he lives among needy people to do what? Well, we see again in the text, he says he comes as a preacher, he comes to proclaim the good news. He has truth to share. He brings us hope. Proverbs 25, 25 says, Like cold water to the thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. It's a great promise. Jesus brings us good news from a far country. He comes as a healer to bind up the brokenhearted and to comfort those who mourn. And look at the imagery there in verse 3. He says, to bestow on them a crown of beauty, right, instead of ashes. The oil of gladness, the oil was often pulled over your head and kind of ran down your cheeks, right, over your face. The oil of gladness instead of mourning. And then a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. And the picture here is that God's comfort will cover you from top to bottom. There's not a place where his comfort will not reach. It's a beautiful picture there in Isaiah. He also comes as a deliverer to set us free from our bondage. He's going to open up prison doors and restore sight to those who have been confined to darkness. He talks about the, the proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor. Most commentators think he's, he's making a reference to the year of Jubilee. Now, the nation of Israel, this was an event that happened every 50th year in the nation of Israel. And what, what happened, the, the land would, would be allowed to rest. There was no plowing. There was no tilling. There was no harvesting. All the debts were canceled. Those who were, had, had to sell themselves into slavery to pay off debts were set free. So it was a time of celebration. And so Jesus comes and he proclaims the day of the Lord's favor. But he also talks about the day of the Lord's vengeance. Now, again, most commentators believe that this is actually separated you know, Isaiah often crams a lot of things together, but they're often actually separated in God's, in God's timetable. Um, that the year of the Lord's favor was, was proclaimed when Jesus came the first time, as he came to lay down his, his life for his people. And God's vengeance will come 
at the second coming of Jesus when he returns to judge the living and the dead. And it is worth noting that when Jesus read this passage in Luke chapter 4, he didn't read the part about the day of the Lord's vengeance. That was a day that was yet to come, and it will come. So Jesus comes as our preacher, our healer, our deliverer. And so we look back and we, we remember what he's done. But then we also, we also look forward in obedience because this mission, his mission, has become our mission. It has become your mission. There's a passing of the baton here. There's a transference of this ministry to the church. We continue the work of Christ. And we see this even early on in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 10. Jesus sends out his disciples and they go and they preach and they heal and they cast out demons. They do what Jesus does in Isaiah 61. Even in John chapter 20, he tells his disciples before he returns to heaven, he says, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I am sending you. Just as Christ was sent, we are sent. We take up his mission. And we see this echoed all throughout the book of Acts, throughout the New Testament epistles. God's people continue this mission. And so we go as Jesus did. We go out as people. And again, that's not much rocket science there. But what I mean is we go out and we enter into relationships We rub shoulders with our neighbors, both near and far, both similar and different. We incarnate the love of Christ in our lives. We go out as people. We go out in the power of his spirit. Acts 1.8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses throughout the world. So we receive his power. In John chapter 14, verse 12, talking about the spirit, Jesus tells his disciples, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Wow. Going to the Father. When he talks about going to the Father, he means you know, sending the Spirit once he goes. And when he said greater works than these, now he's not talking about type or kind, but, but the scope, the scope of ministry that we will Jesus' ministry was in Jerusalem, was in, in, in Israel. Our ministry goes all over the world. And we do that through his spirit. So the spirit gives us our marching orders. We go out bearing his fruit. Galatians 5 tells us that we are to go out with love and joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and goodness, and faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. That's the character qualities of someone who goes out in the spirit. We go out calling out to God as our father, No small thing here. Romans 8 tells us that we receive the spirit of adoption whereby we can cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And so we go out with an audience of one, our Heavenly Father. And we go out lifting up Christ. This is what the Spirit does. In John 16, verse 14, Jesus says, The Spirit will glorify me. That's what the Spirit does. The Spirit is always pointing and lifting up Christ, pointing to Christ and lifting him up. And so we go out, and in everything we do, we point to Christ. That's what it means. That's what it means to go out in the power of the Spirit. And we also go out, as Jesus did, to others in need. Now, again, the list in Isaiah 61 
It gives us a picture of people dealing with uh, complex struggles, right? And, and uh, if, we're, if we're honest, usually, usually those are the people that we try to avoid, right? Because it's just it's, it's time-consuming. It can be overwhelming. It can, it can maybe you know, conjure up things in our own hearts of things that we're struggling with, and it can become difficult. But we're to go out to those who are in need. And so let me give you an example. This is completely, completely made up, so don't, don't think I'm picking on somebody. So let's say next Sunday, Pastor Tom or Pastor Kevin get up and say, hey, we're going to have a greeting time. Okay, now some folks love, that's like the favorite part of the service is the greeting time, so they can chit-chat. Others despise that part of the service more than anything else. So irregardless of that, it comes and you're determined, you know, I'm going to do this thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look around, I'm going to try to find somebody I don't know and welcome them here. So the greeting time comes, you scan the horizon, and you see somebody sitting in the back over there. Don't recognize them, so you're going to go up to them. Now, if you're a guy, just pretend it's a guy. We'll, we'll call him Charles. If you're, if you're a lady, just pretend it's a lady. We'll call her Charlotte. Um, but we'll just use Charles. And so you go to this guy, and you introduce yourself, and in your little small talk here and there, and you ask him you know, how he's doing. And then there's, there's, this, there's this little pause and you notice, you notice his nose start to kind of turn red, and you see almost a tear in his eye. And it's almost as if Charles is thinking, should I say something or should I not? But then he shares. He says, you know, actually, it's been a rough week. And I lost a good friend of mine about a month and a half ago in a car wreck. And it's just, I'm just still, still trying to get past that. Right? So immediately, your heart goes out to Charles. You're like, oh, man, because all of us can relate on some level to that. And so maybe you give him a hug, maybe you pray for him, maybe you try to offer some words of encouragement. The greeting time comes to an end. You come back to your pew. What are you thinking about Charles at that moment? Do you kind of you know, check, did my duty for this week? Or do you think, I'm going to pass this on to Pastor Kevin or Pastor Tom, you know, refer him to someone else? Um, or do you pray for Charles? Do you, do you think, you know what, I'm gonna, I want to talk more with Charles. I want to talk more with this guy. Well, fast forward it to the next week, and lo and behold, there's another greeting service. Um, a time to greet everyone around you. At that time, what do you do? You kind of hang close? Do you stick in your pew? Or do you look for Charles? Let's, let's say you do. Let's say you look for Charles. You see in the area, same spot. You go to Charles. You start chit-chatting some more. And you set a date. Hey, you know what? Let's get together for lunch. Let's go have lunch. We'll go up, to, up the road somewhere. And so you do. So you guys get together for lunch, and as you talk with Charles, the picture becomes more and more clear that there's a lot of complex things going on here. He's got multiple layers of brokenness. He comes from a denomination that has some really sketchy views of the Holy Spirit and Jesus, and so you don't, don't know what to do with that exactly. And then he talks about his home life. Growing up as a kid, it's just a horrific scene. He experienced various, various forms of abuse from family members. And then he talks about in college, he, he actually was addicted to heroin for a number of years. And but praise God, he's been clean for almost five years uh, from that. But, th- but then he shares how he feels discouraged because he feels like he's traded one addiction for another. Because now he feels like he's, he's developing an addiction to pornography. What do you do? You raise your hand and say, check please. Get out of here. Let's go. What do you do? And really the question is, Will you do what Christ has done for you? Will you you move away from Charles and kind of get back? Or will you lean forward? Will you lean forward into that mess and seek to bring hope? Now, 
it won't be easy. Now, some of you, some of you, it becomes more natural, and some of you, you have to work really, really hard at it. And, and, and there are different levels of engagement that we'll be involved in, but one thing is clear. Disengagement is not an option. Not if the mission of Christ has become your mission. We enter in to the neediness of others to proclaim the gospel. And you will never feel sufficient for this. I don't care how much training you've had, how many books you've read, you'll never feel sufficient to share the gospel with your neighbor. You'll never feel sufficient to speak truth into the brokenness of someone's life. You'll never feel sufficient when someone in need comes knocking on your door. And that's okay. That's kind of the point. (laughs) That's why we go out in the power of the Spirit. Paul in 2 Corinthians 2.16, he talks about the gospel ministry, and he says, he asks, who is sufficient for these things? And the implied answer is no one. Nobody is sufficient for these things. That's why we need the Spirit. And so we go out in the power of the Spirit. We proclaim the good news of the gospel and offer healing to the brokenhearted and those who are mourning, offering deliverance to those who are blind and in the bondage of of whatever. So what's the end game? I mean, what's the goal? Well, look in verse uh, verse 3 there. And the ESV is a little more clear how how it connects. And it says that, that they should be called, or they may be called, oaks of righteousness. They should be called oaks of righteousness. What an image. An image of an oak tree. It's a powerful one, right? It's tall. It's fruitful. It's lasting. It's strong, which is ironic because we're talking about neediness and weakness, right? So how do we become strong when we're needy and weak? Well, it's a work of God. I mean, look, look in the text. Again, they, he called, called to be oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord. It is his doing. He is the one who plants you. He plants you in the reality of his goodness and his sovereignty. He makes you oaks of righteousness. But there's more. Keeps going. Why? Why are we planted as oaks of righteousness? Is that the end? No, there's more. For the display of his splendor. Or one way to say that, for for him to be glorified or, or for his beauty to be displayed. There's different ways it's often translated. So as God enters into your neediness, he, he, he plants you as an oak of righteousness, and he, he's glorified through that. His beauty is displayed in your life. And then you go out in the power of the Spirit, speak hope into the brokenness and the need that's out there, plant them as oaks of righteousness. And again, God is glorified. His beauty is displayed. Let me tell you about Roger. Roger was a, um, him and his wife, Marge, were missionaries in, in the Middle, East, Middle Eastern country for close to 20, close to 20 years. And uh, just a gentle, just sweet soul of a man. Uh, everyone loved Roger. And he was a, almost a legend uh, in the country among the locals. Um, in this particular country, the Arabic was the spoken language, but there were about six or seven different dialects of Arabic that were spoken, and Roger knew all of them. Uh, he had been, I mean, he had been there all over the place, and just he'd entered in so, so deep into the culture, knew the ins and outs and different nuances. Um, and they used to talk about how Roger had this iron stomach. He could eat things that would make the locals sick, and he would come out unscathed. It was pretty amazing. Um, 
So Roger and his wife, Marge, they went home one Christmas, uh, over Christmas on their furlough to, to visit family and friends and you know, the grandkids and things like that. And they were on their way back to this Middle Eastern country, flying through Cairo, Egypt. And in the Cairo airport, Roger had a brain aneurysm, and he died instantly. So they you know, obviously got him, back to, got him back to the States for the funeral and things such as that. Uh, months later, Marge returned to this Middle Eastern country and served for, for a number, more, number of years. But once she got back, they, they had a memorial service in this city uh, and, um, you know, to, to, you know, to remember Roger. And it was, it, was like, it was like a memorial service that we would have here for a believer. Hymns were sung. Testimonies were given about the grace of God. The gospel story was shared. Now, the vast, vast majority of folks at this memorial service were Muslim who knew Roger for you know, different ways, that, but they were Muslim. But the amazing thing is, is they weren't bothered by that. They weren't bothered by this presentation of the gospel story because the gospel story, it was Roger's story. It was Roger's story. It was the gospel that made him who he was. It was the gospel that made him do what he did. It was the gospel that made him love the way he loved. It was the gospel that brought him to this country. Roger displayed the beauty of Christ in his life. He was an oak tree planted by the Lord. And he displayed the beauty of Christ in his death. And that had huge, huge ripple effects in this city. So this is your mission this is your purpose. And until the day that you die, this is the task that God is calling you to, to proclaim the good news of the gospel, to bind up the brokenhearted, to comfort those who mourn, to rescue those in bondage so that they might become oaks of righteousness and God would be glorified. And as we process all these things here, it's, it's hard as hard as it is for us to leave Faith Church, this is why we're returning to the Middle East. Because there are millions of people there who do not know the beauty of Christ. They have not heard the good news. Their hearts remain broken. Their eyes are still without sight. The prison doors are still locked, and their mourning continues. And so we go. And as a church, and as individuals, you go with us. Through your prayers, through your support, you go with us. So the application is pretty simple this morning. Have you come to the point where you recognize your need of Jesus? Have you come to the point where you really, are you ready to throw in the towel yet? Are you tired of pretending to be strong? Are you ready just to give up and throw your life into his arms? Because your pride is killing you. Your pride is killing you. If you're a believer, have you, have you picked up the baton? Are you moving toward those in need? Has his mission become your mission. Let me pray for us. Father, we thank you for 
this great promise, God, that you have come as a deliverer, as a healer, as a preacher of good news. God, give us faith to believe that. God, let this be the thing that that rescues us from whatever struggle that we face. Let it be the beacon of hope that we look to, to guide our steps. And Father, as we think of, uh, as we look forward in obedience, Father, of what it looks like to to take up this mission, to take up this mantle. God, fill us with your spirit. Let us go out. Let us not be afraid, God, of of entering into the brokenness that's so prevalent around us. God, give us us eyes to be able to see that and give us hearts to, to long to see the hope of the gospel transform those things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.